Hey, Nerd Talk Nation, this is your host, Jordan Halstead, and we are celebrating two years of Nerd Talk with Jordan Halstead. I'm so excited to be on this episode with not one, not two, but three special guests. Uh, Micah, I'm so excited to have this uh, episode. Are you excited for this? I am. I didn't know that I was a special guest, but I'm, I'm You're blessed. always a special I'm... guest. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. We, I, we always have you as a special guest. I, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, our other two special guests were... You guys were in the finals of Lego Masters Season 3. This is Steven and Steven, otherwise known as Crash and Yo-Yo. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Happy hey, to be thanks here. for having us. Absolutely. All right. So, talk to me real quick. Yo-Yo and, and Crash, what got you into the Lego community? You know, everybody has their starting point of a story. Um, we, we call them our origin stories. Um, so, what got you involved with, with Lego? And, and I'll let Crash go first. <laughs> you want the short one first. <laughs> okay. Uh, like most people in North America that were of a somewhat middle-class upbringing, Lego was a, a part of my childhood. Um, my dad's side of the family is from Britain. Um, my grandparents are straight out of London. And okay. anytime I go to my grandparents' place, they had a suitcase full of my, my dad and my uncle's old Lego. So I would be playing with that as a kid. And then eventually it led to me getting my own sets, um, just little pieces here and there, buckets of like odd ball bricks. And then um, I turned about five or six or seven, somewhere around in there. And uh, Space Lego showed up one Christmas. Oh. I got I got like seven Mtron sets and a bunch of Blacktron sets. But the one that stood out for me was the Alpha Centauri Outpost. Uh, which if you've seen Lego Masters 3, I'm sorry oh, yeah. if you haven't watched it all the way through, but spoiler alert, they give me an Alpha Centauri base uh, from so Blacktron cool. as a gift in the final episode. Um, I can build that little shuttle that those Blacktron sets had off by heart without instructions. I've taken it apart and put it together so many times. It's all up here in, in the old noggin. Um so that was what got me into it was, you know, I build like big space scapes on my bedroom floor and built my own little robots and stuff. And that was fun. Uh, and then high school comes around and, you know, I'm playing hockey and football and on the oh, rest the dark of the time and on student council and in the band and, and girls and all that stuff. So, you know, Lego kind of goes by the wayside for a little while as everyone has their dark period as, yep. uh, as Steve calls it. Um, and then, I got onto the fire department after I graduated from university and I still kind of liked building with Lego off and on, but a buddy of mine knew I was a comic book nerd and I've been a comic book nerd since I was knee high to a grasshopper, which if you've seen the size of me is a long time ago. Um, well, you're in the right and, place. Yeah. He, uh, he knew I was a big comic comic book guy and Lego started putting out Batman Lego. They had just gotten the IP. Oh yeah. And he gave me that first Batwing with the Joker helicopter for Christmas. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. It's so cool. And that boxing day, which is the equivalent to black Friday for Canadians. Okay. Uh, it's the day after Christmas. All the sales happen that day for us. It's a big British holiday as well. My sister and I went to the Toys R Us that was closest to my house, and I bought them out of every single set of Batman Lego. To this day, I am only missing one from that first run, which is wow. the uh, Penguin Submarine and uh, Robin. It's the only one I don't have out of that run. And that brought me back into it, and I've been collecting ever since. So now I've got every single modular that's ever been issued, including the Daily Bugle and oh. Doctor Strange. I've got 
1989 Batwing and Batmobile in front of me that I'm staring at right now as we record this. Uh, Steve's helped me out getting a bunch of minifigs that I've always wanted. It's It's been an amazing run to get back into the hobby. I am not near the level that my partner is. I am a set builder, not a mock builder. I okay. buy the box, I pull out the instruction book, and that's how I do things, um, which worked out on the show and we'll get into that in a little bit but because i am the set builder and he is the mock builder we kind of brought our our powers combined and made captain lego instead of captain planet it was pretty awesome that's so awesome. that's that's my story okay so real quick before we hop over to yo-yo um you said you have every modular so do you have the i'm assuming you would have the uh the gift shop one that giant oh, yeah. like the the gift emporium yep okay so I have this like big dream, the big kid dream as I'm calling it. I want to turn one of those into a comic con. And I've got I've got a friend who he is an artist and I'm seeing if he will do his own art in Lego form so that way it would be like shrunk down and I could put like his his spot up cuz uh my, my buddy Adam Fields um I'm like I would love for him to be on there and, so and then there's a few other guys that they go to conventions I was like man if I could get all these there was a convention in 2016 my wife and I had just got married in May and stan lee came to cincinnati Ooh, yeah. and i got that was my christmas gift um she went and and i was like man you're never gonna top this I just want you to know a couple years later she gave me a kid like the day after christmas so i'm so, like okay so you, you kid two stan lee one yeah. yep i yeah. get it yeah so so anyway <laughs> so anyways um at the stan lee one someone was selling stan lee figures and i was like man if i do the top level as like a like a q a session i could have my stan lee doing a q a with Absolutely. all the different characters. And so like when they do the like series 25, yeah. and 24 and all those different ones, I'll grab different ones that would work with my convention, um, my, my dream. I'm like, eventually I'm going to save up enough money to get this thing. But I'm like, man, so I do you think I can make it work? I think so. But yeah. I'm going to top you on the Stan Lee. I've, I've met him twice. OK, he, he came to Calgary back in 20. I want to say 2014. I've been okay. to every Calgary Comic-Con except for one because we were shooting Lego Masters. Okay. Um, so he came that year, and my buddy and I waited in line forever to get our photo taken with him, and I went to his panel. It was amazing. And then he said, I'm not traveling anymore. I'm not going to Canadian conventions. I'm just doing it in the New York area. Todd McFarlane is from Calgary, guy who created Spawn. Oh, yeah. yeah. He brought Stan Lee out with him. So... I met Stan Lee again with Todd McFarlane. And the greatest thing was Todd McFarlane was signing autographs for free because he was in his hometown. Oh, so I was in awesome. Nerdvana that day. Oh my Plus, gosh. <laughs> you're talking about getting that comic book art. So not only do we have Todd McFarlane from our hometown, uh, I don't know if you read Xenoscope comics, uh, I don't. The, the grim fairy tales. Anyway, oh, okay, most, yeah. most of the cover art uh, gets done by a very few select artists. And one of them is Don McTagg, who is also from Calgary. And I have a commissioned piece in my hallway right now, framed, uh, that she's done for me. She's done. She does fantastic cover art. She even did the Batman 1000th issue with uh, oh, yeah. Batman and Catwoman getting married on the cover. Yep. She did that. And then Fiona Staples, who does Saga, is from Calgary. And she recreated all the Archie Comics characters for Archie Comics. She went to Alberta College of Art and Design, which is now a university instead of a college. She is like one of the biggest comic book artists out there. Also a product of our hometown. That's that's really cool. I, you know, I, I was going to say, I don't know if you can top the Stan Lee thing, but then you did. Because I was like, 
he uh, he's actually ordained. Um, I don't know if oh, you yeah. knew that. And so he performed a wedding at the Q&A session. And <laughs> oh, they, they used their signature because it was like one of those, like you get a picture, you get a signature and all that. And I think they had him sign their wedding license. Oh, I was like, awesome. you better not get divorced. Like, hey, honestly, like that's going to be my right buddy there. had David Tennant do that. A doctor who. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Uh, oh, that's awesome. So you do know my partner is big into comics now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I knew I knew from the episode and we'll get to that here in a little bit when we talk about some of the episodes and, uh, that you guys did. But but yo, yo, what what got you into <coughs> comics or not comics uh, into Lego? Um, my story goes back quite a ways. Um, little known fact, I was one of the oldest people on Lego Masters uh, this year. And I soon realized that my my origin story started in the 70s, which is very unusual for some <laughs> people. Um, around 78, 79, I had a relative okay. that, that traveled to Europe on a vacation. And Lego was quite a bit more popular in Europe than it was in Canada back then. For context, uh, starting in the 70s. 78% of all Lego contestants weren't even born until the 80s. Yeah. So I've, I've been in the hobby for longer than most of the cast members were were alive. But that, that's a side note. Um, so that was right around the time that minifigs were being created. They had some one-piece molded stuff, but none of the articulating arms and legs. Okay. So my, my relative picked up the classic yellow castle, which has become an iconic set. Of course, didn't know it at the time. And that was my very first Lego set. And I had... I was about five when she gave it to me in 78, 79. And there was like nothing, nothing like that around. So I was just instantly transfixed and then it became all I wanted. And then that, that rolled into the same generation stuff here, which is the classic space um, and classic space then became my next thing. And then it was the next generation of castle and forestmen and uh, the city lines, anything, fire, police, all those police station stuff. Uh, that was just fantastic. I made these little cityscapes in my basement. It's all I ever wanted. Like I, there is no, I didn't need a bike. I didn't need a hockey stick. I didn't need anything like that. I just wanted Lego as a kid. Um, and then much like my, my partner hit that high school thing. And now I had to buy a car and I had to put money into the car. And then girls started coming into my world. So Lego took a bit of a backseat. Uh, yep. Luckily, I never got rid of any of it. It just kind of stayed on display in my room. Um, then enter the university years and again, paying for university and trying to get an education and moving out of my parents' house. I just kept everything, uh, but it was kept in storage. And then in 99, they introduced Star Wars, the first of the licensed oh, yeah. lines. Um, like Harry Potter and Star Wars came out at the, the same time. And Star Wars was another passion of mine. I, I originally, I saw the original three in theater like I in 77 my dad took me to the original one <laughs> which is so bonkers cool. that's how old I am <laughs> and uh that reinvigorated me so from 99 to 2000 2001 I bought every single Star Wars set that came out uh and then I needed to buy a house <laughs> so I had to stop buying Lego for a bit <laughs> but the good thing about buying a house is you get a Lego room when you finally do it that's so true. um after we were married we bought the house I uh, started with the fire department. I started setting up displays and then kind of exploring my creativity beyond that. And a lot like uh, Crash, he took apart that Alpha Centauri set so many times. That That's what I did too. I, I kept all my old sets, but they got repurposed into shopping malls and schools and gardens and parks. And I worked with different yeah. scales, which was very unusual at the time. And um, it just sort of rolled into my own mock building. Uh, and then I found that I was, 
originally I just kind of thought I was a lone adult that didn't that did this stuff and not many people did and then discovered there was a community in my local town and I joined an adult club and realized there's people wilder and crazier than I've ever thought of and they pushed me <laughs> creativity creatively and and I started going to conventions and my name got out there and I got involved with some really good people and some really good events and that's how the people the fine people Lego Masters found us I guess okay you know, you were talking about the the late '90s, early 2000s with the Star Wars sets. Now, I'm I will say this: I was born in '95, so I'm very, very young. Like when you when you're talking about that part, so I don't remember like the classic space stuff and all that. But I do remember when my grandmother, I think it was either '99 or 2000, my grandmother sent me. It was the A New Hope when C3PO and R2D2 were in the little escape pod, yes. and they landed on Tatooine. I have one of those. Yes. Um, and I think one of the hands broke on C-3PO because I just played with it so hard as a yeah. like five, six, seven, eight year old. Um, so like, I don't have like the full gold hand anymore, but I still have the, the parts and pieces. And um, Star Wars was really big uh, when I was, when I was little. And I remember like the Clone Wars stuff and all those sagas that were really pushing that stuff. I had a ton of clones and I, I would go and try and find all the, the Clone Wars, like the $10 packs. Yes. So that way I could just like have a big old army of clones. I was like, that's all I want with my life. I just want a bunch of the clone Legos. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, kind of like you guys said, that that high school period where you just kind of start to distance yourself, even into college, university years, um, you're distancing yourself. It's not fully away, but it's like you, you're kind of making some room. Yeah. And then uh, I, I still collected here and there. It was like once, maybe a year, a couple times a year, whatnot, maybe you get something at Christmas, birthday, something. Um, and then 20, I gotta remember 2018. Um, so I started, started my first full-time job in, uh, August of 17 and I got our big return. Me and my wife, uh, got our big first like tax return, um, in 2018. And I was like, Hey, I've got a little bit of money. And that was the year that infinity war dropped the Thanos set. And I don't remember if you guys remember this, but each of the six sets, you had to collect a stone in each of them. So I bought all six sets with the tax return that no I did. that was not cheap <laughs> no it wasn't i think it ended up being like three or four hundred dollars by the end of it and then um, you wait three years and they put out the advent calendar you get all of them at once oh yeah. i didn't even have to wait three years because then the, the the following year in 2019 when they dropped the uh the exclusive one where uh oh, what was it hulk on the helicopter um because he also he got the the red gauntlet and it gave you all the stones anyways. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I put all this money. Now I sit back. I'm like, you know, it's okay. I've got all these really cool sets. And I I actually took apart the Sanctum Sanctorum and built my own mock out of it with the bookshop um, before the Sanctum Sanctorum set was announced. Nice. Um, and I was like, watch, I'm going to build this. And they're going to announce that later this year, thinking they were going to do the Avengers Tower instead. And they're like, nope, we're pushing out Sanctum Sanctorum. And I was like, fun. <laughs> so... <laughs> We I just want to say that. that I'm the the responsible one financially here at Nerd Talk. Um, Good. Every I, group needs at least one. I one don't. I head. don't. I don't run out and buy everything. <laughs> I buy some things. I don't buy everything. So Jordan bought everything. <laughs> I did. It, well, and the more that I've I've gone through, I I'm very selective of my sets anymore. I don't just like find something with a car because um, the Speed Champions. I love the new style where they've got like the double seats. I'm like, that's one of the best things. Um, I actually – okay, so real quick, for those who don't know what a mock is, Yo-Yo, can you tell us what mock is? Yeah, mock actually stands for my own creation. 
So a lot of people will build sets and learn all the techniques and get parts and pieces. Like my partner, Crash, he he was really good at all the brand new techniques that are coming out in all the brand new sets. Uh, but people like me, I, I, I look at a Lego set, I instantly look up the inventory, and then I decide if I want to buy the set just for the parts, because the parts mean more to me towards my projects. Like I've always got something on my, my design table and I'm like, Oh, well, I need more masonry pieces. Oh, well that set there is on for 20% off and you get 47 of those masonry bricks. So I'm going to buy that, sell the minifigs, offset my cost, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Um, so, so I, I kind of mock a little bit, not too, too much. I'm more, uh, do it kind of this whole, like, I'll just take something and then recreate it a little bit, just kind of try and widen it a little bit. So I don't know if you guys remember the Lola set from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the car. So it no, came no. with Agent Coulson. And yes, then, I have yeah, that one. So I, I, I widened Ooh. it. So it's now actually got two Eight spots. Nights. And so I just created with, with just parts and pieces that I, I nice. picked off. Um, and I did the same with uh, the Ghost Rider with uh, the, 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 the Charger. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, that thing was just awesome. And and learning how to do that, but I'm I'm still nowhere near the whole like, let's do this whole big mock and and create something big, like what you, you know guys what? did. That's a skill in un, unto itself is adjusting those. Like I, I bought the the Disney castle when it oh, first yeah. came out, right? I, I have it sitting on my uh on one of my display walls. Um, but the moment Disney bought Marvel, which was after that set came out, I took out all of the Mickey Mouse stuff. And I put in all Marvel stuff. So instead of Tinkerbell, it's Iron Man. That's and instead awesome. of uh, Merida's like archery practice, it's Hawkeye shooting at Captain America's shield. Right? Oh, that's so so cool. those little mods, Beauty and the Beast is Black Widow dancing with the Hulk. So oh, yeah. those little mods are fantastic because they're little ways to make it your own. It's personalizing. You don't need to build a giant mock all the time. Putting yeah. that little bit of, of your own flavor, even if it's just reversing a stained glass window pattern. Oh that, yeah. That, that just makes it your own, right? So so with my my builds, one of the cool things that I, I really like. Um, so one of my buddies, he he did make this comment as a joke. He's like, You are Lego racist. You don't like the yellow Lego people. And I said, Well, yeah, because I can't tell if their flesh is made out of house or if their house is made out of flesh. Because it's all the same. You know what I'm talking about? That yellow, it's it's yeah. there's no difference in the color. Nope. So I found out that they have the different flesh colors with all the Iron Mans and the like all the Marvel. They started pushing out the different skin tones. And there's only one flesh colored like shirtless uh, ripped torso. I don't know if you knew this. Um, it was in a Lego Batman 2. And with the diner set, which which uh, Crash, you, you would know this part. And I don't know if you've got this one, Yo-Yo, or not. But I on do. the middle yeah, layer, the there's the boxers. Yeah. And so there's a used Lego store, and I found that Batman where he's he's got the Speedo, and I'm like, Will Arnett should definitely be on this episode, like, voicing for this. Um, but they they had the shirtless, and he had, like, a, a Batman Speedo. And I pulled those off, and I started creating boxers with uh, with those guys. And so they're, they're all my, my whole city is completely like flesh tones. And I've got like Caucasians, I've got blacks, I've got like your middle Eastern and all these different things. And I was like, this is a really cool, like you said, it's just those little touches that make it your own. Yeah, totally. So, all right. So I want to go ahead and move us over to your guys's experience on Lego masters, if you guys don't mind. So yeah. what was your thought moving into we're going to be on this show. Did you guys have to audition? Were you guys, did you sign up? Did they find you? Like what, what was the beginning process of that? 
Um, I'll I'll kickstart this one. Um, When it comes to the casting, there's, there's two different ways that you can do it. You can actually apply and then they kind of put you through the different routines. Um, But occasionally because they're trying to fill some typecasts for personalities for the show, they look for certain types of personalities and that's where they kind of scour social media. They talk to the community. There's some references that come, come their way. Um, so that was how we were contacted. So one day I got a message and, um, it was through Facebook and I won't bore you with the details, but originally I didn't answer it because I actually didn't think that this was kind of my forte. Um, I never, I never pegged myself as the guy that could walk into a room with a million bricks and someone says, build me a dinosaur, go. (laughs) Um, that, that just, to me, like my, my projects, they sit, they, sometimes I'm inspired, they're fast, but sometimes they'll sit for weeks, months, years until I can kind of figure out the perfect touches on it. Yeah. Um, but through some conversations with the casting company, they, they convinced me otherwise. And it kind of came down to, well, you know what, this is a very unique opportunity. Why wouldn't I, wouldn't I put my hat into the ring? Um, they, they wanted to follow the fire department angle because again, they were trying to find a particular type cast that, that suited their, um, their model that they had envisioned. And they asked if I knew another firefighter who builds Lego. And I, I've got a lot of friends within the, the Lego community I've built with before, but I've never built with another colleague, but instantly, um, I knew crash was the guy to talk to because we had actually, we met years previously in the lineup of a Lego store and we do the comic stuff and we do the Lego brand new releases. So he and I share a lot of interests, not just within the Lego sphere. So I called him up and I, I remember the call a little bit different. I, I think Steve senior crash seems to think that he needed some convincing. And I, I remember him <laughs> being like, yeah, let's do it now. So, <laughs> no, it, yeah. It, that's a, that's a misnomer. <laughs> I was in. The problem was the day he called me was two days after I had torn my left bicep at work. Oh, no. So I was like, dude, yeah, that would be uh, that would be awesome. And then uh, when when do you when do you think this will happen? Well, they said we got to do auditions at the end of next month, being January. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll have a left arm yet. Yeah. Uh, is that going to be a problem? Uh, let me get back to you. So. I go and have surgery three days before Christmas. I Steve phoned me on a great day. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was uh, the charity that I had volunteered for at the time was loading a truck full of toys to take to underprivileged kids, and I was supervising everybody doing that because I couldn't lift anything. And yep. um, I was like, okay. So three days after Christmas, my surgery, uh, three days before Christmas, sorry, my surgery happens. January 2nd rolls around. I get a call from Steve. Hey, uh, we're, we got an audition. We got to do this online meeting with uh with casting and i'm like all right cool when i'll be there i'm in my arm brace and i come out and we start talking with the guy it's supposed to be a 45 minute meeting and it goes for three hours wow so yeah. we, we were just having a lot of fun back and forth just talking and having a real good time with the guy and he was he was pretty confident that we would move on to the next phase i don't want to give too much away but we go through a bunch of different sections of the uh the audition process from there and uh two days before we are scheduled to fly down to atlanta and this was the caveat to shoot the show the caveat was i had to have the brace off my arm and two days before we had to fly out my surgeon said you can take the brace off now and i went oh thank you 
oh, this is going to be perfect. It's kind of close. You're just like, Praise God. Yeah, <laughs> something along those lines. And uh, yeah. uh, I'll let you know right now. I am a very, I'm a person of very colorful language, and that'll play into a lot of stuff that happens on the TV show in our stories. Uh, I tend to use um, words that are not appropriate in mixed company. Is the best way to say it a okay. lot in my vocabulary. We got so there, there were some choice words that were thrown out the moment that my surgeon told me I could take that off. <laughs> if we, so if we ever, if we ever needed Will on an episode, I know. So one of our guys that's typically here, his name's Will. Um, Will, we actually had to help teach him not to curse so much. And there was a moment where we grabbed uh, the the Age of Ultron where Cap says language, and we actually would put that in as the censor every time he would cuss. <laughs> And for probably three, what, three months, oh. like we would just be like, hey, we got to put this in. Hey, we got to put this in. Hey, and it was the funniest thing. And he finally broke it. But no, well, it was, it's hysterical. And then there was an episode we did last summer uh, reviewing the She-Hulk uh, series on Disney Plus, And he just was talking about the, the character that played She-Hulk and just smash this, smash this. I want to smash this. I want to smash that. And like he just kept going and going and going. And I'm like, Will, <laughs> we get it. She's attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love Tatiana Maslany? She's I mean, orphan black. That's I great. mean, she she is a very beautiful woman, but we're like, Will, you got to you got to bring it Move back. Forward. And my Move wife, forward. my wife was on that episode too. Which is that was her. What was funny was that was her first time she'd ever been on an episode with him, and she yes. was like, Oh, okay. She just had to sit back and take it all in. It was just crazy. Yep. <laughs> I will. I promise. I will do my best not to uh, not to use my preferred vocabulary. But uh, I mean, there will be a shock collar on him right now. <laughs> there will be stories that come up if we talk about each individual episode. Rob, uh, we will have to address the fact that that's what I was saying because it both helped us and hindered us yeah, throughout a time. lot of the process. <laughs> okay. Oh man. So so the experience you guys were not necessarily people who auditioned. Like you didn't seek it out, but you you were you were sought. And I, we still had to audition. There was it was okay. the application that didn't have okay, to. Okay, so the application, but you guys went through the auditions. Everything went really well, um, and then you guys moved forward, and you guys shot in Atlanta. Is that where you said? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so you guys were in Atlanta. Now, how how long does it take? Like, because I know like your guys' building time is like you get twelve hours, you get twenty four hours, you get eight hours. Like, is that like, hey, we shoot the entire season basically within a week? Or is that something that it takes a couple months to do? Like, how does that, how does that work? Um, takes the entire season took seven weeks to film. Okay. So it, it's a really significant amount of time to be away from your family in particular. Um, yeah. So we had to kind of uproot ourselves from work and from family and from friends. And we had, we had to kind of do it under the cover of darkness too, because they, they have very significant contracts that we sign about things that we can and cannot say. And, um, yeah, gotta be hush hush. Yeah, totally. And before anything gets officially released, you just have to be super, super quiet. So we took breaks from work, traded holidays. Um, of course my, my immediate family knew, but not my extended family. They just knew I was out of town for a little bit. Um, and when it's worth mentioning, because when I say it takes seven weeks to, to film 13 episodes, you can clearly start to do the math that, that you're not filming one episode a day. But the timeline, the clock that's on the wall is extraordinarily real um, to the point where you are not allowed on the studio set until a very specific time. And then the clock is starting. And then when it comes time to breaks, because there's 
There's about 325 to 350 people that work on set. That's camera okay. and lighting and hair and makeup. Wow, that's a lot of people. It's a lot. And they're all unionized. So when it's 1201, it's break time and yeah. everything stops. So then they say, okay, builders, you've got two minutes until break. And then they do the countdown. Okay, three, two, one, hands up, hands off bricks down, leave. And you're like instantly ushered right off set. There's no lingering. You don't have a chance to look and stare and compare. You're on, you're, you're offset. And then when it's time to come back, all right, builders ready. And then the big booming overhead voice. All right, everyone, builders on set, builders on set door opens. You go right to your workstation and you're back at it with the clock ticking down. Um, but it so does it's take not necessarily consecutive, like 12 hours. It's like, you do have your breaks. You do have a little yeah. bit of time to hit the bathroom or grab lunch. Yeah. Grab well, dinner. The bathroom breaks were incorporated into the clock. Yeah. So oh, okay. if you had to go to the washroom, the so clock was still ticking. So Steve and I were pretty good about taking turns and we do what we like to call a walkabout where we'd, uh, sometimes you just need to step away from the build or oh, yeah. each other. I mean, it's like it's like having a, a sibling you grew up with, right? You love each other, you're working together, but every now and then you get on each other's nerves and you have to step back for about three to five minutes yeah. uh, before something terrible happens. And Steve and I are really good friends and we're really good under pressure and we work well together, but we're still confined to just each other for that time period that we're there. So there's, there's a little bit of grading during the builds. So that three to five minutes, you'd walk away. You might go visit another table and talk to them for a minute, see what they're doing, visit another table, visit another table. Sometimes just hit the washroom for maybe you don't have to go, but you just go because you need to get offset for a couple of minutes and just find yourself. And to be honest, when we're shooting the show, you're mic'd up all the time and you don't always realize that. And your one moment of solace is when you go to the washroom, it's the only time they shut your mic off because they don't want to hear the bodily noises. <laughs> so if you need if you need a moment to scream as soon as you enter that washroom door, your sound yeah. guy knows to take mm-hmm. turn you off and you can just scream to all high heaven if you need to. Not to yeah. say that either of us did, I'm just saying that option was yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Options there. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because in ministry, um we're we're mic'd up on Sunday mornings and 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 we have countless stories where we have either gone in the bathroom or someone else has gone in the bathroom and they are still hot. And yep. so like you'll hear bathroom noises and you will hear conversations that should not be heard on live streams on like all these well, different I, situations where like, oh gosh. So years ago, or well, not years ago, like three or four years ago, it's kind of the similar situation. We had our pastors um, mic in our inner monitors, right? So like I was on stage, I was playing. I um, had in-ear monitors in. The house was muted, but we could hear it in our in-ears. And Pastor went into the bathroom. And we could hear him going to the bathroom in our ears. Nobody else could hear that, but the band and everybody (laughs) on stage could hear it. And it was because his mic was unmuted in our ears. So, yep, totally get that. Maybe what I'm hearing is churches and any place that does something like this with with the mics and all that, they need 300 some odd people to help make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of moving parts, and everyone was taking very good care of us as cast mm-hmm. members. We were um... well, it sounds like a well oiled machine. Yeah, and being season three, they had worked out some of the kinks that fell they fell victim to in season one and two. And if you talk to some of the yeah. cast members from previous seasons they had some legitimate concerns and, and suggestions for improvements. And we benefited from that. And cast members from season four will benefit from ours as well. But were you guys just in season three? 
Yeah. Just season three. Yeah. Okay. So what year was that filmed? Was it in 20? Last year. Okay. 22. Yeah, so- Okay. 2022. Yeah. So you guys didn't have to worry about like I, I've heard so many stories of the COVID era when. Oh no, people... we we dealt with COVID. Okay. We were confined to our hotel. Got it. We were not on set. We were not allowed to leave. That was our quarantine zone. They had PAs in the lobby at all times to make sure we didn't leave hotel property. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. We had anytime we'd go to set when we were traveling in the vans had to be masked up. Uh, in the green room, if we weren't eating, had to be masked up. Um, masked up until we got on set. We were COVID tested every other day, so three days a week. Um, and we were shooting six get days COVID? a week. Like, did, so, did you guys see any of the contestants get COVID during that time? Our, our life was so locked down that there was mm. almost no opportunity to be exposed okay. to anybody. Like, we had to do full PCR testing before we got on the planes to travel. And then we were ordered to wear masks the entire time. And as Crash mentioned, every opportunity where we would be exposed to other people, we were masked up unless we were in our own personal workspaces. Yeah, wow. that, I've I've heard a lot of stories about that, with especially with TV productions. Like, um, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. And so, like, they were talking about especially in the early days of COVID when they were doing that, where they like had the, it was called the bubble where people like they lived in a hotel for like eight weeks at a time and they could only leave to go to the set and come back and get tested every day. Just like you guys are saying. And just, just like us. And the hair and makeup folks hated it because they, the masks leave the lines and the dents and they affect your makeup. So as Mm. soon as you're walking on set, the hair and makeup people are running around with brushes and trying to get all the lines off your face. (laughs) Are you guys both, you guys are both in Canada, right? You're from yes, Canada. Sir. Okay. So is it still, is it still like that as much, the COVID thing or is it, is it? No. Okay. No, yeah, no I mask for, mandates or anything like that right now. So for a while, like when sort of when the U S was trying to, was kind of like lifting some of those restrictions, um, Canada was still very much right. I, I think yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I didn't know if that was still the case. I work at a university here and it was very, very crazy times. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My wife was working from home for almost three years. She's just now going back. So, wow. 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 Twilight zone. A lot of weird rules for a long time. We had some of the early mask rules that uh, love them or hate them. I I guess they were important, but I'm so glad we're not back in mask world. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, we were talking about that with some friends at dinner the other day. My wife and I were like, it was like the, the zombie apocalypse in 2020. You're like walking around like, before they told everybody to wear masks, before they told everybody to do all these things. And like, we didn't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden, boom, everybody has to wear masks all the time. And it's like, well, yeah. we were just out in March and April of 20 kind of doing our thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy. So I guess I, I got to ask, because I know that Jordan's probably chomping at the bit, but and he's geeking out, guys. Like, I bet you he's just got a grin from ear to ear. And I, I am. I'm just, I'm just like, I'm here. I'm like, man, I love having you guys on here. Well, I, and to be honest, I've. We usually record on Thursdays and I, you know, I, I totally forgot that we were doing this and he called me about five o'clock. He's like, can you get that zoom link ready? And I was like, yeah, I, I just forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Monday. It's not Thursday. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Chris Pratt in that episode and, and oh, Jurassic oh, Park yeah. and my wife, like I said, before we hit the record button is a huge Jurassic Park fan. Like, um, there was, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the, I don't know if it was the host. I watched that episode today as I was preparing for this, but like, um, I think the host said it like the most uh, preeminent Jurassic Park film ever, and I was like, um, I lived through the original. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
As yeah. did I. Steven Spielberg, John Williams, I lived through it. Let's talk. I mean, <laughs> so, anytime you can get Sam Jackson to say, hold on to your butts, that's just yes. a fantastic movie, right? <laughs> so 1994 my, was a great year. Yes. So my wife so, would probably love to hear your experience with Chris Pratt and the whole Jurassic Park episode specifically um, as we, we talk. So let, let's start with uh, let's start with the dinosaur in the room, Blue. So okay. Blue was amazing. Unreal. Having Blue come out and freaking out everybody. Oh, so that was, that was not like added that's not in. CGI. That was no, not, not CGI. Not CGI. That's, it was like was, animatronic. That was a full on, I don't know oh. if it was animatronic or a dude in a suit, but Blue was on set. Insane. walking around. His tail almost knocked John and Xavier's build off their table. Uh, he oh. freaked out Carrie and Patrick legitimately. Everyone was having a good time. Well, everyone was having a time with Blue. Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, for Steve and I, Blue came by and we were like, hey, what's up? So yeah. keeping in mind that Steve and I grew up in an area that is the uh, Triassic fossil hotbed of the world. Yeah. Like it, in the Badlands of Alberta where we live, uh, just an hour outside of town is one of the preeminent paleological dig sites and museums in the entire planet. Uh, at the Royal Terrell Museum. So dinosaurs are second nature to us. At our at our local zoo, we have an entire area dedicated to dinosaurs. That's how deep into this stuff that we get into. And it's been that way since the 60s. Um, so Blue coming by the table didn't really phase us. We had a great time with that. Uh, one thing that didn't make it to air is they also had a gentleman with a, a baby dinosaur puppet coming out of an egg. And that would come to the tables and visit. Oh, that's cool. So that was that was really cool to see that one come by too. And they had the roars, and when they played the theme at the beginning, that was that was really really cool. Our, our all of our heads collectively exploded on the Jurassic Park episode for that. I'm a huge uh, film when, score when they fan. Announced, I was gonna oh. say when they announced it, you guys all just like that pure shock oh, and like i played oh that God. film score in my high school band like yeah. that's how far back that goes it was wow. I've, I've even got the goosebumps remembering that moment where it was a dark studio set and we were standing there waiting for the announcement and then the curtains opened to the jurassic logo and then the the theme song came on like big goosebumps it was well, it didn't even cool. happen like that because will stood there and he had the earpiece in and he was like you guys don't hear that oh hang on a second he takes the earpiece out and the song starts and the logo drops Yes. Like, oh, and so did your jaws. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> and I straight up, I'm, uh, I, all my educational background is actually in animal sciences. Um, okay. I'm a big fan of lizards and, and amphibians. I kid you not, this was the most realistic lizard you could ever imagine. It was designed that it's, uh, its skin felt like lizard skin, but its neck would actually pulse while it breathed while I was breathing, which gave Whoa. you like the entire, like it, it's, it was so realistic. Like, you know, it's not real, but you're staring at it going, I cannot get over how incredible this animatronic thing is. And it was interactive. Its head would, would dart and it would do the clicking sounds and its eyes would look at you. You're just like, Oh, wow. Man. Well, it was wild. And my background is in music. I have two. I went to school for music education and music performance for my undergraduate degrees and um, studied uh, creative arts ministry in grad school the first time. And I'm back in school now doing another master's of ed. And um, film scores, man, I am just, I gush over John Williams and Hans Zimmer and Alan Silvestri and you know, Michael Gagano and all those guys. Um, and, you know, when you hear 
the Jurassic Park theme by John Williams. It's just like <laughs> to stop everything you're doing, right? And like I can't even imagine being in that studio when you guys heard that. And so, wow, it was so neat. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the the opening of that episode, it wasn't apparent necessarily what was the how it worked, but there was a big dinosaur nest up there with these Lego brick build dinosaur eggs. And that's what we all had to run up and grab. And that would have your pyrotechnic display feature that you had to incorporate in your build in it. Um, it's a lot like a football. And my partner here is a former football player. And <laughs> he's he's large and moves extraordinarily fast for a big dude. So he went from back of pack all the way to the front of the room. And he grabbed an egg. And as he turned around, people started bumping into each other. So he tucked it in like a football and ran through the crowd. And... <laughs> Have you ever stepped on a Lego brick? Oh, now yeah. picture someone running at you with a gargantuan jagged Lego brick. And as people were bumping into each other, several people were like very significantly cut. <laughs> so like big wounds on their arms. I they actually not... ripped that egg straight out of Nick's hands. And there was not, <laughs> they, I don't think they anticipated that. So by the time we grabbed the eggs, we go back to the table. Someone says, oh my gosh, I'm bleeding. Oh yeah, I'm bleeding too. And then someone says, "Oh man, there's skin on my egg." <laughs> so. You think they would have learned their lesson, but they did not. Okay, so real quick, I want to talk about the fact that like you crashed onto the table. Like that was we'll awesome. Get to that. If we're going episode by episode, we're on <laughs> technically the first episode, but the second episode because this is the preview episode was Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, they had a contractual obligation to do the Jurassic Park episode before the movie hit theaters, which was June 10th. So June 6th on the that Tuesday, yeah. they aired it on Fox, right? Yeah. As a half hour special edition. Uh, and they had the Chris Pratt appearance in blue and then half of our builds and stuff. So that was your introduction to us was actually Jurassic Park. So it was, it was a preeminent episode for that reason. And everyone got to see us for a half hour before the episode actually aired, which was really cool. Okay. It was fun. Yeah. Okay, so real quick, when when you look at, I'm assuming you guys saw season one and season two, and they yep. they like season one specifically, like there was that episode where they have like, hey, we have a product being Star Wars, and we're gonna have to build this diorama. Did you guys expect like Jurassic Park or Marvel or anything like that? Like, did you guys sit back and be like, I wonder if they're gonna use Jurassic Park because yeah. with the Jurassic World movie coming out, like we're gonna no. have maybe the dinosaur. Did you have anything, any thoughts at all? Uh, I'll be honest with you. The uh, the big thing for us was knowing that it was Lego's 90th anniversary. Okay. So Steve, actually in episode one, was like, he turned to me and he, before anything even started, he's like, I bet this is space. Yeah. I'm like, okay. no way it's space. And it turned out to be space. So later yeah. on, we were like, okay, we've done space. There's got to be pirates. There's got to be castle. There's got to be some kind of city. There's got to be, you know what I mean? Like those, oh, yeah. those iconic themes within Lego. You know, talking that was about where we thought talking about that, that space piece, you guys built one heck of a space station. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and and you, guys, you guys, you guys came out swinging on your first, the first episode. So for you guys, like, what was it like winning that first challenge? Because I feel like the first challenge kind of helps set the pace and says like, Hey, like, this is where we're coming out from. This is like, this is going to be us. This is going to be like, I mean, what was it? The the first uh, episode of season two, like they came out with the dragons or something like that yeah, for the know. parade. And it was like, oh my gosh, you got to follow these guys. And and with all the different ones, typically your first 
build is like, hey, this is kind of what we bring to the table. So what it, what was your guys' thoughts with uh, with winning that first challenge? Well, I think the the biggest thing is all the unknowns at that point. We're, we're fresh on set. We're with newly um, exposed to new people, not necessarily understanding everyone's abilities, having doubts in our own. Like there's there's a real thing called imposter syndrome that a lot of cast members felt like, oh, should I even be here? Because we just didn't know how we measured up. And then the judges talk to you and and then you're you're working with the clock, you're figuring out your building strategy and style and and you're complementing each other and trying not to uh, to oppose one another. So there was so many unknowns that I remember the feeling of just before judging, looking at crash and going, I don't know, I'm happy with what we did. And, and when we set off on our journey, we always wanted to make sure, you know, swing for the fences, make it for us first and foremost. If, even if we go away on a build that we like, because we, for us, you're okay. Right. Like that's, that's not a bad thing to go out on. So we just wanted to make sure it, it represented us. And luckily the challenge was about representing us and the fire service was, was something that obviously we're passionate about. So we tapped yeah. into that right away and we wanted vibrant colors. Like I think we just picked some very basic strategies of testing the waters of what worked. And I, I will absolutely verify right here, right now, we had no expectations of our names being called none zero no yeah we uh we actually talked there were 12 teams in that room in the first episode yep and there were at least seven that steve and i bantied back and forth and we're like this guy these this team could win or these guys could win or this team could win like legit seven or eight teams in our brains were like that was really good like Nick and Stacy, really good. Dave and Emily, really good. John and Xavier, amazing. Greg and Brendan, amazing. I really like Drew and Miranda's. I know they went home that episode. I loved it. I I came by their table a couple of times and was like, that is awesome. I love what you guys are doing. That is so cool. Well, and I think that speaks to the Lego community as a whole. You know, you you look if and, and I'll speak to just the American side. Like when we look at American football we're very like divided. Like I'm from Ohio, um, the Ohio state Buckeyes and the, the Michigan Wolverines, like that is the, like, Oh, <laughs> you do not say their names, which Micah doesn't care for the Buckeyes. But, but anyways, like there's just this big tension. And when you, when you look at like how Marvel's been doing, like you're starting to see a little bit of divide and, and some people don't like star Wars and there's this divide. But I feel like when you get to the Lego community, we all are just like loving on each other. And we're like, Hey, that's a great build. Hey, you know, even though you were sent home like that's one of my favorite builds like just hearing that that constant reassurance like it's not about hey i have to have the best build it's hey did i do what i needed to for me did i did i represent well until you learn that it's mega blocks they built with (laughs) that's fair yeah i was gonna say there there's a little bit of hate for the like there was a tiktok i saw the other day and it was like what is this and it said like zippo bricks or something like that and it was like not a lego brand and they're like what is this and I'm like, you know, we, we are pretty stickler about it being Lego brand, but overall, I mean, when someone's like, hey, I built this unicorn um, and it, it's got like the rainbows and it was just like whatever the, the basic design was, like people are like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Like, good job building. Like, try and try something new. Hey, like, did you think about this? Hey, and we encourage each other. And I, I'm like, there's not been a community that's really loved on each other the way the Lego community does. True. So what you're so. saying, Jordan, is that, after every Marvel movie or DC movie or Star Wars movie, we should just hand out Lego sets to folks as they're departing the theater 
so right? that they'll be happy regardless of the outcome of regardless. the movie. Oh, they killed Han Solo. Here's here's a Lego. Set. Here's a Lego set. Here, let's, let's, <laughs> just be happy. Go. Just go do your thing. Yeah. Man, I I hated uh, Quantum Media. Here's a Lego set. <laughs> Why'd you hate Lego that movie? Better. Shazam and Quantum Media. No, I I was kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> uh, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Here's a Lego set. <laughs> that, that's better. There you go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so a few episodes later, uh, there was this episode with a tree, and you didn't have the stud to put it on. You had to do, like, the free hanging and all that. Was that challenging for you guys? Was that, like, how did, how did you guys handle that episode? Because we only see what the producers want us to see. Right. So for you guys, what were your thoughts? What were your feelings? How did you, how did you navigate that one? Crash, you want to go? Oh, boy. Um, this was... Uh... So the, the episode before the, the brick rodeo was kind of the one where I took the lead for the first time. Uh, we had a bit of a scare in Jurassic Park where I legit thought we were going to be in the bottom two, uh, just based on our stuff not working and leaving stuff to the last minute and making some decisions that weren't the best. Um, episode three, I kind of took the lead with the storytelling and that um it was a lot of fun. And then we get to episode four and Steve and I went back and forth with that treehouse build. Coming up with a concept first was the hardest part. Steve is a very tactile builder. Uh, he needs to have bricks in front of him, not a sketch pad. So it was a lot of Steve running back and forth to the brick pit and kind of putting stuff together, which was awesome for that particular build. Steve came up with this amazing interlock system to go around the the knuckles of the branches right where they all come out luckily the the knotty pine that we were using um all the branches come out in the same areas it's not scattered okay. so the three knuckles that we had steve was able to build around the four branches and we had for the record we had the tallest tree and we had the most branches coming off we had four at every junction whereas every other team only had three we were the mutant tree of the group. Um, so Steve built this amazing system to support everything. And he actually got called out by Jamie Berard for it, which uh, was a feather in his cap. And I'm super proud of him for it. Uh, Cause without that system, we would have had nothing. And then my job was to kind of build the color scheme and the buildings that we were going with. And um, we just, we discussed it and decided to go with uh, brick bending which is making curvature out of Lego bricks, which is not easy. I yeah. have never done it before up to that point. So Steve put a lot of trust in me and uh, let me pick out the, the colors. So we went with the purple, the lime green, and the orange, which are all complementary. Uh, we, we had an idea of what colors work together and what didn't. So we did that. Um, and I started building these circular buildings and we knew the middle knuckle was going to be the focal point. So that was our main classroom. That was our huge room. The level below was going to be something else they could see from above. So that got really intricate. Um, we built a library with a bunch of people hanging out. And then the top floor was the, the juice bar uh, in our university. And then we had to build, we didn't have to, but our plan to use up our space, having those four branches on every knuckle, was to put something on every single branch. Uh, and Steve came up with a great system for locking those in place with some technic and we built rope ladders and stuff. And it, it worked out that it was one of the most secure builds in terms of, uh, what was available to us to, to use 
out of the entire room. We didn't finish top two, but we were definitely not a bottom two with what we, we decided to come up with. And all credit to Steve with how he made that work to hang on to that tree. Wow. Oh, thanks for the kudos, buddy. Uh, it was clear that without the connection points of the tree that we just needed something rock solid to build off of. So not a challenge that I had thought about in a million years. Like you talk about what we anticipated. There was no point in my life where I ever anticipated doing something like that. So it was all kind of matter of fact on the fly. Um, Crash mentioned that, you know, we, we had a hard time coming up with a storyline, but even when we, we had um, a stumble with a story or a particular concept. We we work in an industry where we're always trying to achieve forward progress. So yep. it never stopped us in our tracks whenever we ha we had adversity. So for me, it was just about okay. Let let me just plow through this, and then we can revisit this concept. And then you meet these little benchmarks of success, these little goals. Then you can start building on on positivity, and then stuff tends to line up a little more after that. So, um, yeah, it, it was a unique build. It was super neat, and uh, so many different variations of the exact same stuff throughout the room. Like I can't believe how many different styles there were. There were some very very impressive builds in that group. Yeah, uh, man, you guys, I just I think this is the coolest thing hearing like the the behind the scenes stuff because I'm I'm a guy who loves documentaries. I love kind of hearing like the 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 extra stuff because you you see a, a TV show, you see an episode, and and you get to see what they want you to see. But when you start to hear these stories, like you guys, you guys really had to think things through. It wasn't just like, yeah. oh, hey, you have an hour when it's like, we've got 24 hours to do this, but it's like an hour on our TVs. Like you guys have so much more to this. And I think it's so cool. Well, it's um, like it's completely scripted, you know, like it's like yeah. they have yeah. to like react. It's react in real time. Yeah. Crash had mentioned something about that Jurassic build. You know, we, I liked what was sitting on the table, but we had some challenges with it. We, um, we invested energy in times and places that it wasn't necessary. We left things to the last minute. We put faith in a motorized system that ended up not working to the best that we had anticipated. At all. It didn't work at all. Which is funny because proof of concept with the judges standing at our table before we were judged, it worked perfectly. But by the time it came to judging, it didn't. And that's yeah. the time you get judged. So yep. uh, we the reason I bring up that episode as a backtrack is episode two was our moment of reality about how to properly plan uh, budget time, budget space, have a story that was clear and concise where we put our energy because um, that, that one could have derailed us. I don't think we were the worst in the room, but we didn't actually feel like we were safe either. So um, in that situation, that episode, we, we did a lot of growing up in that one. And then by episode three, I felt like we were hitting our stride and, and we had some good successes after that too. Yeah. Episode two is that Jurassic build is where we kind of uh, really learned that we need to apply our firefighting training. Um, so we, we lived by the motto unofficially adapt, overcome, persevere. Okay. Got a problem, solve it, do what we need to do, move on adapt overcome persevere yeah that's really cool that you could take something that you know from life and you were able to apply it to the show and and how you guys did that that's really cool yeah we were we were very lucky with some of the epiphanies we had that actually were fire hall 
concept. I, I, I won't bore you with all the details, but we definitely found a, a we extrapolated information from our professional lives that worked extremely well in this hobby world. So it was it was neat that we had that opportunity. And it's funny since the show has aired um, a very prominent firehouse um, uh, magazine. It's actually called Firehouse Magazine. Did a little article on us, and we brought up some of those little tricks and things that we brought from the fire service into our hobby world. So, That's really cool. Yeah, it was neat. That, yeah, yeah. Um, I would. Go ahead. No, I was going to say before we, you know, before we hit record uh, tonight, I, you know, we were talking a little bit about mental health, and before we wrap our time up, I'd love for you guys to share a little bit about that as we, as Jordan yeah. and I both, um, you know, expressed the importance of mental health and pastoral care and, oh, and kind see. of. Kind of the initiative that you're all about, and you know, I, I just love people hearing people's hearts and hear, hearing people's stories, and um, it's super well, we can, important. We can do that right now if you want. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm game. Uh, you brought it up, so coincidentally, Steve and I are both part of our critical incident stress management team. Uh, we're both peer counselors and do counseling for crews that have traumatic events that may cause a problem later on. Um, and we we go out to those crews and those that have done those calls and we uh, facilitate some early stage um, counseling. We're not by any means psychologists or anything like that. Uh, I don't want to put the impression in your head that that's that's all the fire departments in the world will do is send out a guy to talk to you. Uh, but it's it's the early stages and getting things working in the right direction so you're not spiraling down on your own or relying on um, extracurricular substances or bad habits to get you through something. It's, it's a way of um, incorporating things. Uh, I, I do recruit training as a training officer as well. Um, and I advocate every time I see recruits or any crew that I talk to, to, uh, to find positive outlets to use. Um, I, I love people using counseling. I practice what I preach. I go once a month, whether I think I need it or not, because like, like with your car, right? You don't wait. If you wait till the check engine light comes on, it's generally too late. But if you have a baseline to work with, you take it in for that oil change. You're making sure you're on top of things. If you work with a person consistently in your mental health journey, just like a regular doctor with your physicals, you're going to have a better baseline to work with. Um, so I am a huge proponent of consistent counseling at all times so that when something is off, even if you're not ready to talk about it, the person that is trained to help you with it is ready to see those changes in your behavior and your body language. And they can pick up on it and be like, hey, I think it's time we worked on this or something like that. Yeah. So that that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. Um, I know Steve has a little bit of a different journey that he, and he deals with his stuff. There's no one prescriptive way to deal with mental health. Um, for both of us, it works out that Lego is one thing that we use. Uh, Lego is a fantastic form of meditation for me. Uh, building a set would be a goal that's attainable because I have instructions in front of me that say when the start is and when the end is. It lets me use fine motor skills and work different centers of my brain. And it lets me uh, blow off a little steam and get that, that, that dopamine dump that says positivity is happening when I complete whatever goal I have, whether it's completing bag number three or completing the entire set. And that's not to say that's the only thing I use, but it because we're talking about nerd stuff, 
Lego is one of those huge meditation pieces. Playing drums is one of those pieces that I use because it's physical and I can immerse myself in creativity. Boxing and uh, other working out is a huge outlet because I can beat the crap out of something and not have to hurt another person. So uh, it's, it's a big piece. Mental health is what you make it. If you're not on top of it, it's going to get a hold of you as it, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but being in Atlanta for seven weeks was not great for me. I had a lot of stuff going on at home and by about week four, I, I had checked out because there were certain things that I couldn't deal with without having my normal outlets there. And uh, there, there were ways I coped with that weren't exactly healthy. And I paid the price for that when I got back. But I found my path after getting back into my regular habits using those meditation and counseling and physical outlets that, that I do. And uh, I've gone on for long enough, so I'll let Steve speak to it. Well, I'm a very, I'm a very much a routine-oriented guy as well. Like, if I get out of my routine just a little bit, it's just like, it's just my world shattered. Like, it's so weird. It's just Absolutely. Just, yeah. And when we we go in and do these defusings and debriefings with crews, one of the first things we talk about is maintain your routines. Don't go into hiding. Don't have the emotional baggage stop you from doing the things that you love. If you love walking your dog, going for a hike in the mountains, like everyone's got their thing, like I mentioned. And and for me, it's always been Lego. I just didn't have an identification of that being my coping strategy because it it, it wasn't in a textbook like, go and play with Lego and make yourself feel better. I, I, I didn't understand what it, it gave to me until I started doing some studies on, on some coping strategies of PTSD sufferers. Um, uh, I think it was Gulf war vets were the very first ones uh, to come back and get exposed to um, it was Tetris games. And there was something about the analytical process of watching the Tetris pieces dropping and changing them they were able to control an outcome by their own input. And that is something that is very, very key to brain healing. Uh, And then I started extrapolating that and like, oh my goodness, like Legos, my Tetris, like this is, I found myself after hard days or long, long shifts, I would come down into my studio and tinker. And I, I just didn't have an identification at the time that that was what, my outlet was, but it became very, very important for me. And, and actually um, since all this exposure with, with Lego and I'm, I'm a captain now, but in the previous rank, Lieutenant around the job, I was known as Lieutenant Lego and I introduced (laughs) other firefighters into Lego and got them involved and helped help their kids with projects. And I've had a few firefighter families come here to my studio where they can play and decompress and and get their brains off of the stuff that accelerates negativity. So yeah, I'm a big, big proponent of positive mental health steps. And this to me is one of the greatest ones. You know, a lot of people say Lego is, is a child's thing. And I'm like, the box says four to 99. So I'm like that moment that Betty White turned a hundred. Maybe that's why she passed. She's like, can't, (laughs) can't do this anymore. I can't play with Lego. It says four to 99. Sophisticated well, uh, interlocking bricks. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm sure you know Steve and Steve, you you know talk to each other on a regular basis, and when one of you're having a bad day, you call each other and you know kind of go through that with each other. And Jordan and I do that. Yeah. Often. Totally. Last last Often. week I daily. Last week <laughs> I had much. a garbage day, and I I talked to Steve, and he landed in the ear for for a few minutes. And sometimes you don't need to solve all the world's problems, but just airing out something makes it feel a little bit better, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, it's so cool to see how Lego is not just like just the TV show or just that moment. It's it's yeah. it's a coping mechanism. It's different ways that we can we can build together. Yeah, um, and, and totally. we just kind of help build each other up and not to use the, the pun that way, but it was just that that bit of just, you know, we're, we're building. Um, and that's it's a really cool way. Well, there's something else that we've kind of discovered along this path. Uh, have you been to a convention, a Lego convention of any sorts? I've not. Uh, Oklahoma City is where I live currently, okay. um, and they've got one uh, once or twice a year. I haven't made it to one of the shows yet, but I'm planning on trying to get there. My buddy actually wants me to take my whole Lego City and go bring it as one of them. And I was like, that'd be kind of cool. But I, I'm still kind of like new to this whole scene. And I was like, I don't want to be the new guy walking in and be like, check out my Lego. Like, I'm like, let me, let me get my foot in the water first. Let me see what, what the, the convention scene looks like. You know, everyone's got to have a starting point. And honestly, yeah. the, the reason I bring up the convention world is because I go to these conventions in different parts of North America. And I, I encounter people I have never met before and, and maybe they're pastors and maybe they're police officers, maybe they're school teachers, maybe they're garbage men, whatever their discipline, we all speak this universal language. And then as soon as we start yeah. geeking out and nerding out about these little plastic pieces, <laughs> our differences are gone and our similarities uh, become more apparent. And I went to a convention in Denmark several years ago and it was never more apparent than that moment because there were, I want to say there were 37 countries of participants. There was over a thousand Lego fans and everyone was best buds because of this stuff. <laughs> These are people I never would have met in my entire life. Like this is yeah. the, the connection points literally and, and figuratively to uh, a hobby that gives so much to us uh, it's a jordan it's the same because i know you've done comic conventions yeah we, we talked about that before we started recording i i've been going to comic conventions since i was 20 years old like i remember when my local convention was like half of a room of a gymnasium yeah and now it's one of the biggest in north america like it's a community now. I, I'm a big cause. I, I used to be a big cosplayer. I'm not as much anymore just because of COVID and whatnot. Yeah. I scaled it back. But, you know, you walk into a room and it doesn't matter if you if you think your costume is crap or the best thing ever. You're going to be embraced by those people because of that creative process that you put yourself through. Right. Absolutely. Uh, artists and and artisans and whatever that come through those types of things. You're finding your people. And more and more, what what I like to see about the way Western society is moving forward is more and more we're starting to accept people for those differences that maybe would have got them beat up in high school or frowned upon or whatever, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're learning to become more open. And that acceptance plays a huge role, whether it's Lego or cosplay or music or whatever it is. Just throwing people into those similar situations doesn't matter your background or your orientation or your race or whatever. You're going to be accepted by the people that care about you in those situations. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and uh, invite you guys down for the Oklahoma one. I'll send you the invite whenever. Cool. And that way you guys can come hang out with us and, and we'll, we'll, have, uh, we'll have another go round. Um, so I want to I kind of shift gears back to the show a little bit. Right. Um, so what was the hardest challenge that you guys faced? So 13 episodes, what was, what was your hardest challenge? Um, the one 
for me, which was the hardest, would be the water fountain one. Um, that would be episode 12. Yeah. Oh, God. That, woo, oh. that was, I think, even for the creation team, who is extraordinarily deliberate and tactical with how they choose these challenges, I think even for the creation team, this one got away on, on all of us. It's... Uh, I was stressed watching you guys do that. Yeah, it became... Instead of a Lego challenge that involved water, it actually became a water challenge that involved Lego. Um, the The timeline was extraordinarily short. The Even though the movement of water is considered simple, when you have to use the water to create movement, it complicates things so much. Yeah. And Lego is not known for its waterproof capabilities. So <laughs> trying to create basins of of water were really complicated and uh i'm not gonna lie i got a little sick to my stomach about three quarters of the way through that one it just was three quarters dude we were sick a quarter of the way into that one yeah. it like, it was not going as we wanted and i were, it, it wasn't for anyone in the room to be honest i i would agree that the the fountain challenge was probably the most difficult uh not just in terms of building and trying to make something work which it was uh but in in terms of just we just talked about mental health the mental stresses that were put upon us for that one we came out with four teams out of nascar arguably the most fun that we had in the entire shoot 100 playing with jeff gordon and racing cars and just goofing around with our buds when we got paired up like it was it was unreal fun and then you go into that that fountain build there were times I, I remember turning to Steve and I was like, if Amy comes by and she says one thing about color or story, I'm going to snap. <laughs> and sure enough, Amy and Jamie come by to do the judging. And uh, <laughs> Amy first br brings up story and I tell her the initial story we had. And it was like, all right, we're going to do frogs jumping on lily pads. Well, you've done frogs. Okay, it's going to be Candyland. Oh, but they kind of did that when they did when Nick and Stacy did their camp build. Right. Okay. Uh, this is what we're going to do. Um, you're going to go away. <laughs> and we're going to figure this out. Stacy's going to come over and tell me what I need to do. And then uh, we'll have something for you. Steve didn't even talk to the judges that entire time they were at our table. No, I he was, was so frustrated and frantic trying to build our, our podium and our basin to get our. We knew what mechanics we wanted to have. Yep. We're really good with dealing with water and making water pumps work. That was our strong suit. And Dave and Emily and Nick and Stacy came to our table to ask us for help with getting their pumps to work because they knew that was our expertise. Yeah. How do I make this happen? How's the science behind this? Whatever. But in terms of storytelling, S Steve and I knew we wanted to break out of our shells a little bit. And literally our talk was, we need color. We need color. What's our story? Mm -hmm. We thought about holidays. We thought about Candyland. We thought about frogs because we've gone to them three times already. We thought, yeah. And then finally, Stacy come came over and said, "How about ducks?" And we were like, "Sold. I'm done. Let's go." Yep. <laughs> there, there was a moment because from the viewer point or our standpoint, we see like, "Oh, next week, this is the challenge," and like they kind of give those hints. And part of me was like, "Are they going to bring fire hoses in? Like, are, is there going to be this moment where they're going to like, like really blast with a fire hose?" I was like, man, that would have been awesome. But then oh, when you guys man. went the way you did, I sat back. I was like, this was a very creative 
way to handle it. Um, you guys did really well with that one. I, th- I think um, when it comes to that episode in particular, the most criticism or fan feedback, whatever you'd say, we got was, why didn't you do a fire hydrant? Now, admittedly, that entertained us for an ever so brief moment. But we, when you're given challenges, um, there's the rules that you hear on TV. And then there's the rules that happen in a legal setting with Fox lawyers and yep. stuff like that. Uh, we were very specifically told this can't be a traditional fountain. So when you think about how a fire hydrant would play into water features, the only logical thing is spraying out the top or spraying out the sides. And that doesn't create movement. And that looks too much like a traditional water fountain. So we, we walked away from that. Now I feel like those who are, are listening to your podcast, my redemption is I have ordered about five and a half thousand red bricks and I'm building a dang fire hydrant from my front yard and turning it into a fountain that's happening this year. <laughs> well, if you will send us photos when you're, when you're done and we'll post them on our Facebook page and Twitter oh, and all man. the different things. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. It's happening. <laughs> Love it. Um, I would have loved to have done a fire hydrant. Don't get me wrong, but with all the Dalmatians and firefighters that we threw in as little Easter eggs and all of our builds, we got ripped apart for trying to do frogs on lily pads, and we only did that twice before. Yeah, yeah. So, when, when they like from what we saw as the viewers, I was like, okay, just because they've done it twice, like really, you're gonna you're gonna make them change? Like, come on. It it actually worked out in our favor in the end because that's one more mechanic that we've had to incorporate of having the yeah. frog jump, right? Yeah. So at least this way, they just had to move. Yep. Yeah, we oh we were both very lucky and and very frustrated in in that challenge. And so. we weren't the only ones. Every single team in oh, that I room bet. was having well, a bad day. And as you're getting closer to the end, the stress is already there, regardless, because you're like, okay, I'm now into the last four or five groups. Like as you're as you're closing in, and then you get to the last three, and you're like, I got to make this thing count. Like I've got to win this because we're we're here. Like let's just go ahead and go for it. Um, whether you were like, Hey, let's make it to episode four or not. And then like, once you hit that point, you're probably thinking we can do this. Like we we're going to make this finalized. We're going to, we're going to do this. And just the stress of like, I got to get this. No, Jordan, we did not at all ever, even right up to that episode, we were not planning on being in the finale. I can really like, seriously, we took it episode by episode. That's it. We, we treated it as fire calls. Every single episode was its own entity. Wow. It's, it's okay. like you go to a car accident, you get back in the truck after you clean that up, you flick the switch, now you're in civilian mode. Some some dispatcher sends you a call and says, now you got to go do CPR on somebody. Yep. The switch goes off, you're back in that mode again. And that's what it was like being on the show for us. We gotcha. didn't carry anything through. When we get back to the hotel, after that decompression period, riding in the, the car back to the hotel from set, that time was, okay, I need to transition back to being a human again we get back to the hotel didn't matter what happened on set that day steve and i would get out we go to the lobby we would grab a beverage out of the the fridge that was there and charge it to our rooms get on the elevator talk about whatever we needed to talk about get to our rooms and separate that, wow that was how everything happened on that show we took it step by step day by day yep. adapt wow. overcome persevere one step at a time 
you know, for me being the, the, the viewer, I'm just thinking like, man, they're probably thinking like, okay, now we're here. Like we're ready. And for you guys to be like, no, we took it one step at a time. That so makes fun. the world of difference. So now I'm going to go back and rewatch and see if like, I can see some of those points that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, what was one of your guys' favorite moments in the show? Um, like one of your favorite builds or, or maybe story or whatnot. Um, I know <laughs> as a viewer, I, my favorite, and I'm just going to go ahead and start this one. Yeah, yeah fire I, it up. I loved your guys's Doctor Strange build. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. So I, my, my church um, with my youth ministry, we actually pre-screen every Marvel movie. Sweet. Um, so like that's something that we do because um, with a church being, being where we sit religiously, we're like, you know, Eternals had the first gay kiss. And I didn't think that it was appropriate to take students to because I'm going to have the helicopter parent. I'm going to have – and I was like, you know, I'm not getting into this. Um, and then like Shang-Chi was really good, but then like No Way Home was really, really good. But then you get to Multiverse of Madness, which is like, it was phenomenal. But do you want your kids seeing Benedict Cumberbatch get impaled? <laughs> like, like you, you don't necessarily <laughs> need those moments for like your, your seventh and eighth graders to be like, uh, I've now got nightmares because Jordan took me to this movie that's a horror film. And so like, <laughs> like some are hits, some are misses, and we actually write reviews and I remember sitting there, me and Micah are huge Marvel fans. We go and see, we, we actually will see the movie and then record probably what Saturday or the following Thursday. And then we put it two weeks out. So that way all spoilers are already kind of out there and we can talk freely about it. And there was this moment that we were both talking about Multiverse of Madness. And we just, we both love that movie. It's one of our favorites in the MCU. It was just so well done. And I remember kind of just sitting back and they said, this is going to be the Marvel week. And I was like, this is going to look almost identical to season one star Wars. So they're going to have all these different pieces. And um, I forget who it was that had the, the captain Marvel. I was like, how do you even like that? That's such a generic, like, I feel like for you guys, you had such a panoramic kind of view. You knew exactly what to do. Um, or at least, at least it looked like you knew what to do. Yeah. Um, and then like you have captain Marvel just stopping a rocket. And I was like, I don't feel like that, versus like cutting a bus in half um and i just man i loved the way you depicted that scene and i i'm pretty sure i geeked out almost as hard then as i am right now about it like i'm just but it was so cool i know your question was, what was our favorite moment well, let's talk about marvel because yeah that's yeah. that a great moment um what you don't that. see uh unlike jurassic world they had the stage behind will already dressed it just wasn't lit so when we walked in the room after the big white doors open, I see the Marvel logo and I stopped in my tracks, Wait, fell crazy. to my knees and screamed at the top of my lungs. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, they did like those talking heads with you and you talked about how big of a Marvel fan you were. And I, I, I kid you not, I was like, man, I just resonate with this guy. Like he loves Lego. He loves Marvel. <laughs> Um, and I was just like, man, I just really would love to have him on my podcast, which I finally got you. you go. I'm like so, so excited. The the night the promo aired for that episode, Corey from season one uh, texted me. He's like, I was so jealous when I saw you guys got to do Marvel. I was oh, yeah. like, I, I don't know what to tell you. We got two IPs, man. We we got lucky. Three yeah. if you count NASCAR. Um, but yeah, that, that Marvel episode was a lot of fun. And we got lucky. So... Uh, because we shot between March and April of 2022, all we got was the trailer for uh, Multiverse of in Nobody in had seen the movie yet. It hadn't even been released. <laughs> so Marvel, 
not the challenge team. Marvel picked out all of those scenes for everybody. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, I didn't even think about that part because yeah, Multiverse of Madness would have come out after you guys. Said, oh my yeah. gosh. I didn't even Studio think about executive that part. All we had was there. the trailer. Yeah. All we had was the trailer and a couple stills from it. And this was the scene they wanted us to do. And um, we got really lucky in that when we did the random pick and running up and grabbing our minifigures, Stephen Strange goes with the Stevens. Oh, yeah. It's even spelled the same way for all of us, right? And we ran up, got Doctor Strange, and it worked out that the scene that they picked out for us was a cityscape scene. And that falls right in Steve's wheelhouse and right in mine with all the modulars I built. Oh, so yeah. we knew exactly what we had to do building the streetscape. Um, Jamie came by and gave us the note that you shouldn't have the open gaps behind it. It should be the still scene. Right. So the end of that intersection, I went back to my high school tech theater days and I built a forced perspective 2D rendering of buildings yeah. going down a street. Uh, Steve did a fantastic job of telling me how we should build the wheel. So Steve built the actual wheel that was cutting through the bus um, yep. and I mounted it. I actually spent it's the longest I've spent on one single part of a build. I spent four hours on that bus. Yeah. Wow. Building it's that bus to get it to scale. It has to be important. Yeah. And it's right there. Getting it to scale, being able to mount that uh, that wheel inside it, being having all the sparks inside it, uh, getting it to light up properly. Like that, that was the most focus I have ever had on any build single element that we did the entire show. So I'm going to speak to that real quick. So like you're, you're, you said four hours on the bus. It looked like it was like, because we talked about how I do like the cars and how they kind of fit. It looked very like to scale that you could put a few of your figures on there and whatnot. I don't know if you actually had figures we, in the well, bus or not. You had to, right? Because you're min we were assigned minifigures. Yeah. So everything had to be mil built to minifigure scale. And well, that, that was the key. Yeah. So so you did that. But then I remember because because I started doing my modulars uh, when I moved to Oklahoma City. So I've never had a modular until 2021. So like this is a whole new world for me. I've got more than I should talk about. <laughs> my wife would kill me when she finds out how much money Hell has been dude. spent over time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> your guys's was probably like over many years. Mine has been since fall of 21. And I think I've got like since he got his tax returns. Six. Yeah. Since I got my tax returns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like I've got the Daily Bugle. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've got eight uh, 48 by 48 pads. So nice. if that tells you like it, it's an unhealthy obsession, but it's okay. Katie doesn't <laughs> listen to our episodes, does she? No, she doesn't. It's, okay. We're good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyways, like just seeing like how you built, because at first I thought you were actually putting modular city pieces in. And just the way that it looked. And I, I remember watching and I had to stop it because I buy my stuff on iTunes because with my life, I just – whenever I get a chance, I'll watch it when I can. Yeah. Um, and so I remember sitting back one night just watching it, and I paused it because I was like, I want to see how they built their city. And I saw, like, the gaps, but it looked so real, like, with the windows and just the way you guys did the layering. I was like, dang, I want to be like them when I grow up. Steve's a master. <laughs> so oh, You guys did phenomenal I've, with it. I've got a lot of experience with it, mostly because – I have been following one builder in particular, the pretty majority of his career. And that's actually Jamie Berard, Brickmaster Jamie. Yeah. 
Jamie is the guy that started the modular buildings. And yeah, I, I found that out a couple, yeah. um, a couple months ago. So for me, I knew the importance of, of what a master would do. I needed to figure out how to emulate those steps and a little nerdy side story. I found myself in Denmark on, um, on a guided tour of the factory in 2016. And I actually built with Jamie Berard one night and it was like, <laughs> that's awesome in the hobby world, a lifetime achievement thing. It was just absolutely. It, it's incredible. like the Marvel equivalent of meeting Stanley. You're like, this is oh, awesome. Yeah. Like, he's, he's my, the, the person I most fan over and, and yeah, he's a mentor within the community and he's such a positive role model for, for builders. So to be able to build something that he gave me credit for. And, and Steve's mentioned a couple of times, Jamie singled me out with some techniques that I did, which I, I felt super honored. But when he was judging us for that build, he, he came over and he's like, those buildings are awesome. Like, woo. I think at one point I leaned over to Steve. I'm like, we can go home now. This is it. I mean, I got the highest of honors yeah. right there. So he, I've followed his works and I've, I've tried to take inspiration from how he builds things. And that, yeah. when we got that cityscape, I was just like, Oh yeah, baby. Well, and it became this 3d ish kind of thing too, because you didn't just leave it where it was like, it's a wall of buildings. Like you went in and then did a street that was all the way down. So it was like at the T the T spot. And I was like, you guys just, you came out swinging on that episode. Um, I've actually since built the micro version of it. Oh, that's so cool. That is so cool. <laughs> so we, Oh my gosh. You say we came out swinging. We had to, there was, there was no choice on that one. Um, oh yeah. It, it was hand. I don't want to say hand picked cause that's not the right term, but that particular scene played into everything that Steve and I are about cityscape, yeah. totally love comic it. books, uh, fantastical lighting and building a diorama. And then, they, Marvel wanted us to have that postcard image as front and center, right? So that's where our focus was, building, putting the debris on the street and getting all the details in behind as close to perfect as we could, given the parts that we had. Then we had to watch the trailer forward and back, and we actually put the monster in that threw the bus as yeah, best we yeah, could. Yeah. And then we get home, and a month later, the set comes out with the actual monster in it. And then <laughs> I was going to ask side. if it came out in time or not, if you guys could just follow the, the instructions. Cause it looked Never pretty seen it close. Before. Yeah. <laughs> and then off to the other side, there was a construction site. So we built a construction site and then in the foreground, cause we offset it a bit. We put it back about uh, 12 to 20 studs. I can't remember how far we put it back yeah. to make the street work to get the shot. We actually built facades of buildings that started at about two bricks high to make sure that people got the feel that, yes, this is on a New York City street. We've just cut it away so that you can see what's going on. Wow. And and to know the behind the scenes that you guys did this before the movie dropped, like that, the, honestly, that makes me appreciate it so much more. Like you guys, that was awesome. Yeah, it, we were put at a bit of a disadvantage that way. But the other teams all got scenes that weren't exactly cakewalks to build, like Ooh. Greg and Brendan building that Thor Ragnarok scene and yeah. Liam and Emily going home on that Captain Marvel scene. Like tough one. When I when I think back to Captain Marvel, and I've seen that I've seen every MCU movie and TV series at least three times. That is not a scene that sticks out in my brain. Well, okay, I'm just gonna speak very poorly of that movie. I don't think that movie stands out at all. Oh, I like, love that movie. It was so really, good. I, 
Um, I, I struggle with it. Um, and, and part of me is just, I'm not a Brie Larson fan personally. Um, like it should be on the podcast. Awesome. The lore so well. And maybe that's because I don't know Captain Marvel as well. Um, I'm, I, I, I started DC, so I'll start, I'll start with that. I started my comic books with DC and I've, over the past few years, I've really gotten into Marvel reading. I'm just not a huge Captain Marvel fan. Uh, as close um, as you could get without incorporating X-Men, that that is, or for <coughs> that matter, the original Captain Marvel, and you started yeah. out with, with a woman. Like That's as close to lore as you can get, and setting okay. it in the 90s was perfect. But for me, the iconic scene, the Captain Marvel, is crashing into the blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I, I could have seen something more like that or her hopping in the plane, but like you're not seeing like Captain yeah. Marvel in her suit. Yeah. Like something 100% of that nature. I'm like, 100% with Steve. <laughs> we, we talk about this one actually. Quite I'm a 90s here. kid. I'm a 90s kid. So I appreciate Radio Shack and Blockbuster and all those references from the 90s. I just, yes. Oh, man. Well, she's in the phone booth creating the, uh, the little radio. To me, outside the blockbuster, setting that up with Nick Fury rolling up, that is the iconic scene from Captain Marvel, and I think Liam and Emily got a little screwed on that yeah. by getting trying to stop that missile. Because there, there's not a lot of ways you can do that, and they used probably the best technique to try and make that happen, and it just did not work out. Yeah. Yeah, Liam is a super talented builder, and when he struggled with that, you knew it was a very, very, very complicated one for him. Man, they could have put that with Greg and Brendan, and they still would have struggled. Yeah. Like, Greg and Brendan are the best technical builders that were on that show, and I don't think they could have pulled that off. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're starting to wrap up on time, um, but I've got, I've got a real quick question that I just want to know. What is your favorite type of Lego set series that you like to, to build and what, what really gets you going? Ooh, um, being in the hobby for a lot of years, I think I, I go back to my defaults as, as a child. Um, I'm, I have a very big fondness for the, the Pirate series. Okay. Classic Space was what I kind of cut my teeth on. Um, of those early themes, the the ones that probably I love the most were the Forestman series. So that yeah. would have been like early nineties, late eighties. Well, they just did like the the gift with purchase yeah. recently, where they did like the the Forestman's hideout and all that. Yeah. yeah, they're they're being diabolical with the gifts with purchase because I needed I needed five of those, which meant I had to do the purchase <laughs> point for fives of those but each of their own i think forestman probably is the one that sticks out as the one i love the most the old robin hood style characters and um when they brought out the succulent by botanicals with that weird piece for one of those the second i saw it in a uh, in a manual i'm like oh they're bringing it back they're bringing it back that's awesome i uh so when what was it It was the doctor strange set because it was gift with purchase then um, my buddy JT, he also was getting the castle or something like that. And he's like, oh, like, I'll just wait because it's gift with purchase through that same time when it releases the following week. And we had just had a friend die unexpectedly. Um, and, and he actually was a part of this podcast, um, <coughs> Bama. And uh, we, we just sat back and I said, hey, JT, we're, we're going to go to the Lego store. Um, we're just going to kind of just go decompress. Good friend of ours. We just we want to just kind of do our thing and yeah. um we go and i got the gift with purchase he went the following week 
to get his castle, and they were out. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't do the, I don't have the the castle sets. Um, I have one castle from when I was younger. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and just give this to you. And and he's like, Are you serious? And I was like, Dude, it's no big deal. Like, here, just take this. And I guess they had done it a few months before or something like that, and he'd gotten a couple. Um, but it just it sat well that I was like, Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um. He's he's showing us for all of our our listeners. He's showing us all his castle stuff and all the oh my gosh, that's dude, that's crazy. Yeah, I I have a lot of Lego. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, he he got that, and I was like, dude, just here, go ahead and take mine. And so yeah, I have I have mad respect for that one. All right, Crash, what's your uh, what's your go to Lego? What's your what's your uh, favorite? As an adult, my favorite is the architecture line. Um, everything from. Uh, the Space Needle to Roby House to Falling Water, right up to Great Pyramids of Giza, which was the last one they put out. Uh, the skylines just make me happy. Uh, yeah. I love the New York, the basic of the New York into the complexity of London and how they've carried that forward through everything they've done since then. Um, I don't know if there's many more cities they could do or will do, but I would love to see Toronto. I would love to see... Um, uh johannesburg or cape town uh before the ukraine war started i would have loved to have seen moscow done as a skyline that would have been super cool um but those are kind of where i love to build i will go out of my way to find those i'm only missing a few over the the course of the uh the architecture line um and then uh the modulars i get them every january 1st that's that's my go-to i love the modulars because i love i love the way they've evolved because they started out as building just basically a tower with a hole through the middle and a set of stairs yeah and now they're full-on intricate here's the bathroom here's the here's the sitting room this is a movie projector like, there's the jazz club where there's a stage and there's hanging curtains yeah and and you can change the stage up Oh, yeah. Right, you can you can go from having the the three piece band or the four piece whatever to the magician performing, or you can go grab somebody else and throw it in there. So uh, I love going out and buying sets to get minifigures to display within the modular setups that I have. Um, the only other thing that I would go to is like nostalgia pieces. Like I said, I've got the 1989 Batwing and Batmobile. I've got the Shield Helicarrier, uh, the first big Hulkbuster they put out. I'm looking at that. Uh, the Infinity Gauntlets, both Iron Man and Thanos versions, yeah. I've got those. Um, the, I love the Treehouse. The one I'm missing that I would have really liked is the Fisherman Shack. I love those little, like the not little, but those one-offs that don't really fit with anything, but are super cool. The Grand Piano and watching that play makes me happy. Like it's it all those all those types of sets just are super neat to me. Because they incorporate so many new or interesting building techniques. And like I hinted at the beginning of the show, that's how Steve and I worked well together. Is Steve has a way that he does things. So we know how to get certain tasks accomplished. And then I would be like, hey, why don't we try this? It's how they used it in this set. And it's a, something that Steve hadn't seen before. So there, there was the new and the classic kind of coming together to make things work. And, uh, and I think that's part of why we made it to where we did. Wow. Yeah. We never really really understood. We didn't understand our assets really until after the fact, but through luck and fortune and and good planning and situations that 
evolved in front of us, we <laughs> we lasted. That's really cool. I uh, for me, the the whole Marvel is just one of those pieces that I love collecting them. Um, I've actually got on my wall. Um, I I actually record from my my master closet. I pulled out all the stuff and I like reconfigured this so that way it's just a Lego closet. Um, nice. So like this is my my little my my Lego law instead of Shangri Law. Um, but I've got uh I've got the old or uh like screw and nut uh construction holders, just the the parts and pieces holders. And I've got like the Guardians of the Galaxy in one spot. I've got Mar or uh, Spider Man. I've got Thor, Loki, all the so like when the What If characters came out, like they all got their own special spot. Um, when the Daily Bugle came out, like they gave like a different Miles Morales, and I have the original Miles Morales with the Carnage yeah, when nice. they first did that. Um, so like I've got spots where like each one has their own their own thing, and I've got things where uh, it's like torsos and hands and heads and all this, and I try to try to redo things and, and build and whatnot. Um, but I'll, I'll do a lot of Marvel. Uh, the Speed Champions I've really liked um, just to have the double wide cars. I love that versus the old school cars where it's a lot smaller. Um, there's moments where I'm like, I want to take apart my ice cream truck and, and like make it a double wide so I can like <laughs> make it a little bit more friendly. Um, but the modulars, those, those were big. And the other thing that I found myself really, really enjoying, and I don't know if you guys have even tried these, the sitcom sets um so oh, like yeah. the office and friends and big bang theory and uh seinfeld um those ones i've really really found myself just enjoying the when the office hit my parents were like are you gonna go buy this because if you're not will you buy it and we'll pay for it and i was like <laughs> well but uh the, like just as you guys said earlier when there's those little hidden pieces that the adults find um do you guys have the office that have you have you built that one yeah no? Okay, so so uh, have you noticed that there is a one by two with a hole in it, and it's supposed to be where Andy Bernard hit the hole in the wall, and he's not in the set. He's actually at uh, at the therapy. He's at yeah. the mandated mandated therapy. There's a hole in the wall right between Michael's office and the conference room. One of my kids is a huge fan of The Office, and he actually years we're talking four years before the office set came out he did a massive display where he recreated the entire oh, office wow. just from watching the show we went through bricklink catalogs for weeks recreating painfully all of the figures and oh, when yeah. the new set came out he was super excited and he's like dad it's small and they're missing characters they're missing yeah. this person and this person and this person so he's got his original one it's built and on a, a pull-out drawer it's underneath his bed and then we we bought the new one and built it together so well i i love when they put all the little nods in there like you've got all the hidden weapons from dwight and then you've got uh what was his name uh he pooped under uh michael's desk and like they've got like the cupcake as the poop and like just those pieces i always laugh when when they've got those and um you know lego it just i feel like they're just big kids and they just love doing what they're doing and and it, it's it's awesome. Interesting as an adult fan who's part of Lugs for a number of years, there really was not a lot of. Uh, it, it's going to sound jaded, but there wasn't a lot of love from the Lego community to the adult fan. They still felt like children accounted for eighty five percent of their purchases, or something to that effect. Like the numbers were very yeah. skewed. Um, but they've got a new breed of designer that's come in in about the last five, six years 
who are very much fans of the old school fan cult classic type stuff. And I think that's why we're starting to see more and more of that out there. Yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. I'm, I'm loving the new designers. And plus Lego is one of those corporations right now where they can create a licensing agreement with almost anybody. Because no, only they, they do Star Trek instead of Star Wars because it's better. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that all but i would love to see some star trek stuff legitimately yeah that would be cool yeah. so well guys thank you so much for being on our second anniversary episode this has been so much fun and i am so thankful that i got to hang out with you guys um for all of our listeners guys thank you so much for supporting us in two years uh as we have built this um, we hope that you guys have had as much fun as we have in, in filming this and you guys get to listen. Make sure to check us out on our Facebook page, our TikTok channel, and also our Twitter account. We love you guys and we are so thankful to be pushing forward through this. Um, and we are so excited to see what else is to come. All right. Check us out next time here on Nerd Talk. <laughs>